and we're back with episode 17 of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim, and Adam, again, is not in the studio. However, I am introducing Adam uh, in an interview that he had pre-recorded with comics creator Hannibal Taboo. And if you don't know who this guy is, shame on you, because this guy is doing some fantastic work out there from his comics journalism on CBR.com with the Bipile that he's been doing regularly since, oh, 2006? Yeah, it's been a while. This guy knows his stuff. He's also one of the founding members of the Operative Network. You can go to theoperativenetwork.com and check out the awesome web comics that they are doing there. Um, just some cool, cool stuff. I don't want to spoil it. They talk about it in the interview, and I think that you'll really enjoy that. Um, he is a long-running... What, I mean, what hasn't Hannibal Taboo done? He is a journalist. He is a graphic designer. He is a poet. We've talked about him being a columnist about comics. He's written comics. He's doing all kinds of cool stuff. And Adam ha had a chance to catch up with him to talk to him about uh, not just the work, but the process of the work. So if you're interested in the, the, the craft of writing comics, I think you might be interested in this show. So just a few things to cover before I pass it off to Adam. Uh, just want to let you know that you can hit us up on the social medias. We are at Graphic Podcast on Twitter. We are, we're uh, in the middle of, of compiling emails that we're actually going to read on the air. Uh, you can send us a longer form email to content at gmail.com. We have an official Facebook page. We have an official Instagram account. Uh, I am fighting Adam tooth and nail. He says he doesn't want to do a Snapchat, but there's something about the look in his eyes, and I swear to God, I'm going to slap him if he, if he creates a Snapchat account. I'm just saying. Um, so those are the plugs right there. Uh, again, this is a really cool interview. Hannibal is an awesome guy, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So, Adam, from me in the future to you in the past, I pitch it to you. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate the, the throw to me. Um, right now I'm here with Hannibal Taboo. Hello, hello. How's uh, how's it going, Hannibal? Yeah. Interesting, like a Chinese curse. That is very interesting. I don't think I want <laughs> anything in my life to get that interesting. Yeah, it's that, it's that kind of life. <laughs> yeah. So, Hannibal, we're here to talk about your musings as a writer. All right. Rumor has it you got quite a bit of things coming up. Oh, spirit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, the first one I want to talk about is you have a project coming out uh, called Irrational Numbers. I do. And it's from Wonderman Comics. Yes, sir. And can you give us a little bit of what it's going to be about? All right. Well, Irrational Numbers is a supernatural alternative history thriller that looks at the ancient Greek uh, philosopher Pythagoras and follows him as he inadvertently sets things in motion to uh, basically invent vampirism and create thousands of years of bloodshed, which he then feels responsible for dealing with. Wow. 
That is very intense. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're writing this and you got Pyth- Pyth- Pythagoreas. I, and, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> okay. So you got him and you said he's created thousands of years of bloodshed. What is it for you? What is it? Uh, what's so interesting about coming in and giving it that spin with, with a character for me, all I know is the Py- Pythagorean theorem in math. So what, uh, how do you go from there, that to vampires? Well, uh, <laughs> I have to credit uh, the publisher, Nate Wonderman, who the original concept of Pythagoras and his apprentice become vampires, and it's, it goes over centuries. That sentence was something that was brought to me, and I developed it from that point on out. Um, there was I'm, – I'm very interested in setting things in different places. A lot of the comic books I read are in New York or in the same place or whatever, or mythical cities like Gotham or – and I'm very interested in uh, setting things in different places. So when I got to say, oh, and now the script goes to ancient Egypt, and now we're taking it to India, and now we're in Romania, and I can do those sorts of things with, and do the kind of research that makes them actually authentic, which is greatly helped by the artist Giancarlo Caracuzzo, who's uh, Italian and who has traveled through Europe and knows a lot of these places firsthand. So being able to uh, uh, add that kind of a, a scope to it is very attractive to me because uh i'm i'm not very you know it, it, i'm not one of those people who's like oh no i'm just looking in my backyard and telling these little stories and, <laughs> no i'm interested in the whole world so that's one part of it and second that initially and i've said this for many years to many many people so it's not a secret that i used to say there were three ways to get me to tune out of a story put in pirates or nazis or vampires and i would stop paying attention immediately so to take one of those things and make it interesting enough for me not to tune out of it was a great challenge for me as a writer that I, I enjoyed quite a bit. And once I really got into uh, using everything at my disposal, uh, so I was able to weave in the worship of Hecate. I was able to weave in uh, certain botanical and scientific uh, advancements of that era and so on and so forth and make that all fit in together to work for the story. That was that was. A, a, a big it was like putting together one of those big jigsaw puzzles where it's all white except the one berry in the corner and when I finally got it all done I was like yes so it sounds like quite a challenge that you had on your hands here yes sir it was an enormous challenge especially because there was both so much history to cover and uh, the publisher he was like oh make sure you get the Romanian revolution and make sure you get uh, this thing on the starry most in, in uh, uh, what used to be Czechoslovakia and so on and so forth so hitting all of those notes as well as uh, making the character drama and the character interplay matter was a great challenge that was enormously enjoyable for me. So you said you had you were brought this uh, by the publisher. Uh, yeah. So that means this isn't creator-owned. This is just uh, – well, not just – this is an, an indie project that you've taken on. Is work yes, for sir. hire? Yes, sir. It is work for hire, but um, in that – uh, I've already been paid for a lot of it, you know, and wow. that's cleared, and I'm very happy about that. Uh, and literally on Friday, I got an email from the publisher saying, so after you're done with this, I need you to start on the next thing literally the next month, and that's going to be four more scripts I'm going to need from you. I'm like, okay, that's what you need. I'm here to do it. <laughs> so. Nice. So you're, just, you're already set to go with, with future projects with this publisher. 
Yes, I, I'm. I hope very soon to be able to announce the artist on the new project and the name of the new project. But this is the because you said focus on the thing you're doing. So this launches in July, goes through the end of the year, and then I guess at some point because we have a scheduled. Uh, uh, I have to stop myself from saying the name. We have a scheduled <laughs> new project yet, uh, it but switch, it'll be out in 2018. If, if, it, if, it, switch, if it slips, let me know, and I will make sure to edit it out. <laughs> okay. I, I'm normally pretty good at controlling my uh, my impulses in this regard. So good I be good deal. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm horrible about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I have this secret project named blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so secret now that you know what it is. Uh, Classic you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, with, uh, with Wonderman Comics, it sounds like you got a pretty good relationship with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you're working with... I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Giancarlo Caracuso? Caracuso, yes. Caracuso. He worked on uh, Agents of Atlas and Cable and World World War Mob, and he did uh, Batman 66 for DC. He's got a fantastic uh, uh, track record, and he's really great. So you said he lives lives in Italy. Yes, sir. How has that affected your guys' working relationship I mean, it sounds like you got a great a great relationship with Wonderman Comics, but I know with artists, it's a completely different a completely different synergy that you guys come up with. Well, there are a number of barriers that should be a problem that we've been able to work around. For example, Giancarlo's English is not very strong, so a lot of the things that he gets from my script, which is a full page script, you know, written a hundred percent in English is his daughter who also is, if memory serves, uh, doing inks on it. Uh, she's translating for him and then he's translating that understanding into comics art. So like, for example, I got a page back last week where I had written something about these characters that they were there. It's, and when people see the panel, uh, they're walking in the rain and they've been fighting all day. They've been, you know, going around fighting people. So they're, they're really downtrodden. Right. So when he sent me back the page first, he sent me the second panel that they were actually fighting in the rain. I'm like, no, 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 no. They're not fighting in the present tense. They have been fighting. That's why. And it took like, Two emails to get that straight, but <laughs> okay, you know, both of us are very, uh, both of us are very determined to turn out good work, and neither of us have a lot of ego built into it. So it's not like he was, oh, why are you doing this to me, Hannibal? It's not like I was like, oh, why are you screwing with my script? You know, we just both worked to come to an understanding of it, and that was fine. Um, but yeah, his uh, location. So that's that's the first thing. But I believe the benefit of the fact that he knows physically things that I'm talking about in Europe significantly better than I can figure out from Google Maps is an enormous benefit in that he's the one drawing it because that uh, changes. Even with, I mean, I send a lot of links because, you know, for a 22-page story, my average script is in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 pages, you know, uh, on a Word document or so. Wow. uh, Because there's so many links and the panel descriptions are so elaborate and so on and so forth that it just, you know, it starts to build up. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah. So in that, uh, there have been challenges, but we've, because we both have a really good attitude and both, because we're both very open to suggestion. Like there's been ideas where I'm like, Oh wow, I didn't think of that that way. You changed the angle on this and it's way better and so on and so forth. So we're very open to listening to each other as a collaborator. And also with 
Nate Wonderman in the middle of us, you know, who he's, he's, his family's from Europe. He's knows a lot of things and he, he's worked with Giancarlo before. So he's able to go as a publisher, right? Yes, sir. He's able to work as a middleman in some ways when I stumble and say something overly colloquial (laughs) that, that doesn't make sense, uh, uh, when translated and so on and so forth, he's able to make that work. That that's awesome. Like to hear, Mm -hmm. You hear some some stories of people butting heads creatively, um, and it's nice to hear a story that is de- and it's going to show at the end product. Uh, Absolutely, how you guys have have worked together to create the best story you can. I think so. Yeah, I'm very very excited for people to see this book. It's it's uh, it's big. <laughs> Do you feel like this is going to be one of those projects that defines you for years to come, um, or, or has the potential to? I, well, my wife might disagree with this next sentence, but I don't know if I'm arrogant enough to say that. Um, I know that it's what I, what I like is that it's very different that with the work that I do, I don't really like say, well, I'm just going to do one thing. Like, so I've done mystery, a mystery story with Watson Holmes. I've done, uh, a comedy story with uh, new money. I've done superhero stuff with my, uh, studio, the operative network. And now I've done historical fiction with this. So I, I like that this gives me another way to flex my writer's muscle, but, uh, it's when I think of like, you know, really literary works, this is a literary work. It's very intentionally a, uh, it has in mind not to be a consumable confectionary piece of pop that you would, you know, read and discard. This is something that you'll like be able to refer to. At least that's the idea behind it. Uh, and I really hope that I hope it will stand the test of time in that regard. That's now that's one thing I feel like writers don't focus on enough is in thinking of the future mm-hmm. and having your project have value on the reread. Yes. Well, I as someone who uh, growing up in Memphis there was a lot of books that, you know, I wasn't able to catch up on. So, you know, I had to start the Great Darkness Saga one issue in and I didn't get the whole story until I was an adult. But uh, rereading books was of enormous importance to me. So, I mean, I still, I'll read, you know, Douglas Adams's books maybe once every five or six years. I'll just read all the way straight through. Um, just to, because I want to stay, I want to keep the material fresh in my mind. I want to keep it fresh in my, my kind of operating system, I suppose. So looking at the fact that this is going to be referred to, that this can be referred to rather, is very important to me because I don't want to, I know how much comics cost. And especially with the first issue being an oversized 52 page slab of book. Good Lord. <laughs> what's the I, price on that at 52 pages? You know, I honestly don't know. I legit, cause I know he said he wanted it to be like a European album style comic, like Mobius or, okay. uh, uh, or something like that. So it's, it's going to be like, you know, you're to pick it up and be like, Oh, this, this is, this is a book. This so, is a thing. so it's going to be like hardcover bound or like trade bound. As I understand it. Yes, sir. Okay. So, uh, I actually don't know how much it's going to cost. I, I, I will find that out, but I have not found that out yet. Well, I, I know that, that, the project is still ways. You said it launches in July, right? Yes, sir. So you're, you know, you'll have plenty of time between now and then. I'm sure to let, and we'll let our, we'll update our listeners on what that's going to look like. Um, 
what distribution methods are you using? Uh, well, is Nate Wonderman using for uh, irrational numbers? Well, here's the funny part about that, because we were putting together the timeline, the production timeline and whatever, and I'm like, oh, and here we'll have to make sure we have the diamond solicits and blah, blah. He's like, diamond solicits? I'm not doing that. I'm like, but wait, what? These are comic books. What do you mean you're not doing diamond solicits? He's like, yeah, that's not the way I do business, because most of what he does is either selling through Europe or selling through uh, larger larger sites like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, or he also, and this is a really good financial thing for him, has a lot of books placed through libraries. Apparently libraries across the country, you can electronically check out books. And he's seen enormous success with his books through that uh, avenue. And yeah, so he was like, yeah, I don't need Diamond. I'm not going to play that game. So So when you said this was a literary work, that was a, that was a very much, you mean that in marketing and distribution as well, not just in the, the craft. Absolutely. Yeah, that was always foremost in his mind that this would be not just a book that you would open, read, and be like, oh, that was great, and toss it. Like, I don't know. I, I don't remember any issues of Dark Rain, for example. But uh, You're not missing this, anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read them. I just don't remember them. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you got more so, yeah. things to remember. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. That was always his goal was that this is something that, you know, even in terms of I mean, because, yes, it's historical fiction, but there's a lot of very accurate elements there, I, especially when the uh, and this isn't in the first issue. This is in, I think, the second. I worked very hard to uh, get a lot of detail from the Romanian Revolution to look at the personalities there and and to make sure I portrayed them in ways that was consistent with what was seen in the international media. So while I may never meet these people, because most of them are dead, uh, that I wanted to be consistent with their public image and the way that they were perceived. And I feel like not every writer understands that. I can't speak to what every writer does. Well, yeah, but I mean, (laughs) I think that's, to me, that comes across as such a unique quality. Because with mainstream comics, of course, you're going to have some type of public face, but at the same time, there's still that you're still kind of your own publicist on social media and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But with so. with this, it sounds like you're working very closely with Wonderman Comics to present a different type of marketing strategy. Yeah, his he's he's got a very different approach to things in general. You know, his whole catalog right now, which, you know, if you ask, you know, the average, you know, Marvel zombie about it, they won't be like, I don't know any of these titles. But that hasn't stopped him from, you know, supporting himself and making money and building a company that can then subsequently pay me. So <laughs> That's a hell of uh, a thing for an indie company to just be like, oh, here's money. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to invest in your work is the number one way to make sure you're going to be more successful. So when he found me, which was a funny story by itself, uh, and we started working together, he was very determined to make something that first fit his artistic sensibilities, but second fit his business requirements. That he was going to be able to take this then and take it out and be able to shop it to the people who give him money regularly and give them the sort of work that they're, look, they're looking for. That makes a lot of sense to me. And just being able to, I mean, a lot of the big companies have other people to answer to. And they, um, mm-hmm. 
they don't take the. I mean, it's as we know we talked about with Diamond. It's three months ahead, all that. So yes, with this, are you going to have the entire thing done by the time the first issue comes out? Is that kind of your strategy? Well, well let's see. I think I've got, if memory serves, I've got two or three full issues already on my iPad. So I know they're done. Um, ah. we shouldn't have any problem shipping in that schedule with them. And Giancarlo is, oh God, he's so fast. So, <laughs> and he's so accurate at being so fast because he's penciling and then inking him. Wait, no. Yeah, that's right. He's inking himself. So his daughter must be doing coloring. I should really look at the credits because I don't remember. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, just, I don't believe there's going to be any problem getting this to market. And by the time July hits, I'll have, if not all of it, most of it in my hand already. I just can't show most people. So, <laughs> and you got to—I feel like you got to—in that aspect, you got to head up on a lot of uh, on a lot of current comics. That's yeah. a, that's that, a unique quality, especially as an indie publisher. Yeah, that's one thing that I know. Even my, uh, I was talking to Matt Hawkins, and that image worked very hard after you're, to rehabilitate their image. Their image, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, to make sure that now any book that you see that they've got three months of comics banked. So you can't solicit your book with image until you've got that. And that's a new policy that they put in in the last few years that they hope will gain them some uh, a different perspective with retailers. And it's a it's expensive, but ultimately, in the long run, you got to spend money to make money. Exactly. Exactly. Now, shifting gears, I'm a process nerd. I've written mm-hmm. comic scripts. Um, my first comic script was modeled after some, uh, I think, Ultimates 2, number one, where Mark Miller's script was in the back. And mm-hmm. and I've added you know, some elements from what I've read out of Kurt Busiek's scripts. For you, what was the – what went into your formatting for your script? Did you have somebody you were particularly inspired by or a model that you followed? Well, for the first book, because there's there's a stylistic shift, an intentional stylistic shift between the first and book and the five that follow it. That his idea for the first book was that uh, instead of the standard uh, portrait orientation page, that these would be landscape orientation pages that would follow kind of the way you saw the old Prince Valiant comics, kind of to give it that you know kind of greater mythic kind of oh this is you know we're we're going somewhere with this Wait, in a way that's so- different than. So sorry, you're mm-hmm. writing your script in landscape. Yes, sir. Intentionally that, um, making. Yeah, it was some, crazy. Wow, <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. I've never that never even occurred to me as something to do. <laughs> so for me, the way when when writing it and digging deep into the process, for me, I didn't write a 52 page script. I wrote a hundred and wait, what's 52 times two? A hundred and whatever fifty two times two is because I had to know the math. Thank you. No, one hundred four. Yeah. Okay, one hundred four. I wrote one hundred four individual uh, 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 snapshots essentially, and sometimes I'd break those snapshots up into oh, this is a diptych panel or this is a triptych panel. But for the most part, I tried to stay pretty close to that and try to keep that that working in that model to maintain the principle. And I went back and read the old Prince Valiant stuff and was like, okay, I see how you pace the storytelling and you. You you have to push someone towards the next panel and so on and so forth. And I tried to mimic that as closely as I could stylistically. Uh, unfortunately, I only had the comics themselves and not the original scripts to refer to, so I kind of had to reverse engineer it. But you know, I'm I'm fairly I'm pretty happy with what I came up with uh, in in regards to that, as well as 
like I said, the, the authenticity, I believe, with the amount of research that I did and poured into it. I, I'm really happy with it. Now, you, you mentioned you got webcomics through the oper- operative network. Has, yes, sir. Has the way you've scripted this impacted the way you've scripted those comics? On the contrary, in the reverse. Because the way I script uh, my webcomics is very... Uh, I'm very I'm very organized about it because when I, I I read the scripts of Christopher Priest, when I read the scripts of Dwayne McDuffie, and so on and so forth, I would look at those scripts, and uh, even when I was lucky enough to speak with them, that they said you have to make sure that you're making as little trouble for everybody down the line as possible because you're at the start. You have a chance to clean things up as much as possible, and. If it gets to be so, if the letter gets down there and you haven't said one, two, three on which order things are supposed to go in, then he can put them in any kind of crazy order on the page. He doesn't know what your priority is. Or if if you uh, get to the colorist and you don't say like another thing from issue the uh, the second issue, uh, this part should be in color and this part is a flashback, so maybe grayscale this and so on and so forth. If you don't put those things in, people have to guess. And if they have to get the more they have to guess, the farther they're going to get away from what you want as a creator. And so, as you, as you said, Giancarlo's out in in Italy. So if you got your colorist is is you know out somewhere in Europe, not speaking English, mm-hmm. you know their guess is going to be uh, something that you're going to have to live with and not necessarily be able to communicate with. Absolutely. So yeah, I work hard to be, and that's why the scripts are so long. So <laughs> I work hard. To make sure that each script has as much, as many tools as I can give the people down the line. So when push comes to shove, they're not, you know, shaking their fist at me as the problem. <laughs> that uh, I'm not the I'm not the reason why their job is harder because that's both unfair to them and that's a way to essentially you know slow down your career. It's not I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that writer. That makes a lot of sense. I mean. The the best writers uh, make sure that the best artists are their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I want to make sure that everybody, because uh, I was able to work, like, for instance, on, on uh, Artifacts 35, I was able to work with Michael Avon Wemming. And the fact that he still, you know, is very cordial with me, that his wife is like, oh, you guys need to take a picture every time we see each other and so on and so forth. That uh, that lets me know that I didn't make his life hell. <laughs> and, and that's a good sign for me. That, and that, I'm sure that's a source of pride, you yes, know, as a writer. So. Very much so. So, and again, shifting gears uh, into uh, more into the operative network stuff. So, mm-hmm. what what all do you have uh, going on with the operative network? I know you got a couple of web comics. Mm-hmm. Which uh, what what are they that are running right now? Oh, the wonders we will show you. So every Monday, and I do mean every Monday, like clockwork, uh, we have a book called Menthu, the Anger of Angels, uh, which we post for what we call hashtag Menthu Mondays. And it's a an ancient Egyptian-based, uh, an ancient Egyptian uh, demigod who lives in Los Angeles and has decided to become a superhero. And he faces a number of challenges. In this case, there is uh, an angel who is not very happy at the idea of one of the older pantheons gaining this much notoriety and this much uh, popularity again, uh, especially in, quote-unquote, their city. So he cuts a deal with one of his friends from before the fall 
to destroy Memphis. And that leads to all kinds of chaos and property damage all over town. So Now, when you say the fall, you mean like the fall of man with the apple and all that stuff from Genesis? I'm sorry, no, before that, the fall of Lucifer. Okay. Uh, the, war, the war in heaven. So once okay. uh, a third of the heavenly host, according to the uh, Dictionary of Angels, once a third of the heavenly host were cast out into hell, I thought, you know, they weren't like, you know— they weren't like strangers to the people who remained. They were friends. These are people who had known each other for their entire life. They, they just and those moved. bonds, yeah, exactly. <laughs> those bonds don't necessarily change. So if one of your friends happened to be on the other side, but he's still technically your friend, he might be somebody you would go to. And I extrapolated from there on out. Now, did you have did you have any personal? Uh, experience to add into to that relationship? Very much so, because I uh, practice uh, a form of spirituality based on what was done in ancient Egypt. I'm able to bring to fore a, a, a very, I suppose, intimate knowledge of the inner workings of, for example, the divine politics between them. There's a scene in the book, and I'm wondering if it's online by now or if it's coming up soon. But anyway, uh, there's a scene in the book where there's essentially like uh, what amounts to a congressional debate in the ancient Egyptian version of heaven, where they're going back and forth over things, and those things are affected by things that are happening on Earth. And that Menthu on Earth has to figure out how to play both of those spheres against each other and understand his his role in both of them. And that kind of complexity was very, well, first of all, to me, it was very necessary because I know in ancient Egyptian, for example, I can use the word Dejed, which is D-J-E-D, and it means five different things, you know, depending on your context, depending on where you're using it and why you're using it. So to have the multiplicity of meanings and the multiplicity of levels to this story, uh, in addition to each character having their own arc, each character having their own thing that they're searching for and that they, they're trying to get and whether or not they will get it, was of superlative importance to me in writing that story. And it, it was... It's it's a blast, and I'm having so much fun with Robert Rocha on that one. Oh, so you said Robert Rocha is the guy, mm-hmm. is your artist? Yes, he is. Um, he's one of my studio mates, and Menthu is his property. It's his intellectual property that he came up with. So uh, he came to you with this. Um, the way it act. Okay, we were we were at because we're always at conventions together because we are in this group called the Antidote Trust, which is an independent collective of creators, and we're joking back and forth and blah blah. I'm like. And I said something about, I'm like, you know, in that book that you wrote, you, you spell this thing wrong because there's a common, it's funny to me, uh, there's a common mistake people make when using hieroglyphics and things that they'll use uh, two, uh, two feathers as the letter E, but it's really the letter Y that sounds like the letter E. Okay. <laughs> so when I see things written that way and I start laughing and people are like, uh, I think one of my, oh yeah, like even my... Uh, one of my employees at my day job, he has a shirt where his quote-unquote name is written in hieroglyphic, and literally every time I see him, I bust up laughing because I'm like, that's not your name. That's J- because his name is James. I was like, that's J- Jami's. <laughs> that's, that's not your name. <laughs> but, and he was like, oh, you think you know so well? You should just go write something. I'm like, well, I'm happy to go write something. He's like, oh, you are? And then we just kind of started steamrolling from there. Nice. So what's the – you have another comic on there as well outside of Menthu. Mm-hmm. What is the – what is that and what's it all about? 
Well, that's another one where uh, a, a confluence of events led me to work with somebody. Uh, Quinn McGowan, who uh, is my creative partner on that one, also another studio mate. He lives in Memphis, which was where I grew up. We we grew up, you know, literally a few blocks from each other and never met each other until I moved out here and was on the Internet. Wow. So, yeah. And uh, his property, Project Wildfire, is uh, an unlikely uh, candidate who uh, he was a guy who was in college trying to make some money so he saw a thing come in for this experiment take these injections and we'll pay you some money he was like great I could pay for some books because he was an architecture student and those books are expensive and he goes in and his genetic predisposition is one in several billion and grants him superpowers and able to just as a, a, a horde of monsters like people, real, regular people are turning into giant monsters in the streets of his town and he's the only one with the power to stop them. So okay. in this book uh, that we're doing now, the one we're on right now, it's called uh, Project Wildfire Street Justice. On one side, there's because normally these people, they turn to monsters and they're, they're good giant and they don't know what to say. And they smash stuff up and he has to stop them. But all of a sudden, one of the monsters isn't going raw. She's smart and she's articulate and she's clear and she's got a plan. And that's not good for a lot of people. I was going to say, so, now, is this diabolical monster plans or is this just she just happens to be self-aware? She is uh, self Well, as a human, she was a monster. She was very manipulative. Okay. She was, you know, uh, she was never a good person. And the, her, the fact that she was suddenly, you know, 40 or 50 feet tall and had power uh, only enhanced who she already was. Uh, it was just a, a quirk that, you know, in the, in what's called the wildfire contagion that turns people into monsters, that she was the first who was able to, you know, maintain her intelligence. And that changes the way that wildfire has to deal with her on one side. On the other side, there's a street vigilante who is also superpowered, who is saying, you're out here fighting these giant monsters, but our people are being killed in the streets and you're not doing anything about it. You're a distraction. You're an embarrassment. So these two very disparately different female figures are pulling him in different directions, and he's got to navigate that throughout the course of the story. Now, this like all this sounds, I'm I'm incredibly fascinated. Thank uh, you. But I I don't really read a lot of web comics. I'm more of a like I read some of the comicsology stuff, but mm-hmm. my preferred method is you know hardcover trade and all that. Are we able to purchase these either through Diamond or the hardcover trade market? My plan, ultimately, and and it's funny you mention that because I'm so bad at paperwork. (laughs) My plan, the the overall business plan with the webcomics is we give them away free uh, throughout the course of the year. So every week you get something free if that's what you want to do. Um, At the last week of the year during Kwanzaa, I take everything down off the site except for the first few pages of preview, and I uh, bundle it up as a book. Then we were going to take it up to Black Comics Arts Festival in San Francisco and be able to sell physical books there as well as uh, sell it electronically. If there's enough demand, uh, then we also hope to be able to offer it in a physical form. Uh, We were thinking about crowdfunding it, but again, that feels like a, a... I looked at the Patreon paperwork and I looked at the Kickstarter paperwork and I was like, eh, I'd have to build up my list first and, that t- and I got a script doing yeah. So, <laughs> uh, As someone who's run a successful Kickstarter, that's a lot and a lot of work. So much work. Yeah. So I, I do not blame you for wanting to shy away from, from all that because that becomes a part-time job in and of itself. 
Yeah. And I'm already, you know, I work a full-time job. I've got two fantastic kids who require a lot of attention. I've got an amazing wife. And I, you know, so I was like, either I could work on this because I've worked in marketing. I know how to do stuff. Either I could work on that or I could write the comics well. I can't do both. So right now I'm focused on writing the comics as well as I can and trying to build up the audience, you know, as a, a tertiary concern in that regard. Tertiary concern? I'm unfamiliar. Oh, a, th- a third level concern. So it's first primary concerns, which are like uh, eat, you know, pay your rent. Secondary concerns, which are find fulfillment, be happy. And then a tertiary concern, yeah, it's nice to have. Okay, okay. You learn something new every day. I had no clue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to incorporate that in my vocabulary now. Okay. <laughs> so do you have – obviously we're talking about projects you're very involved in, stuff mm. that – Quite frankly, I'm excited to hear about because I've not – before you reached out to us, I've not really had a chance to go out and explore all the stuff that you have lined up. Um, hmm. I knew you from the Bipile, mm-hmm. which you've been doing for a billion years it feels like. It does feel like that. I started – well, I started in 2003 and I started at Comic Book Resources in 2006. So however many years that is, I've been doing it and it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. That I you your column was one of the very first columns that I used to kind of gauge things, mm, and I really enjoyed reading it because either I'd have like a difference of opinion, or you would explain why things worked in a certain comic or why they didn't, mm-hmm. and to me that was always very you were very insightful. So I was thank you. So when you brought this. To me, I was very excited to hear how that insightfulness was going to translate into fictional storytelling. Fingers crossed that it did. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to read this stuff. Do you have – I know this may be premature, but do you have any other properties that you can either tease or that you might have lined up through maybe, you know, uh, another comic company? All right. Um, well, one, um, I have two chapters done, and I'm waiting for some feedback from the publisher on what's going to be one of the first prose novellas out of Aspen Comics, uh, which is a spy book featuring Ken Hawk. And uh, again, going into another genre, uh, it's called Out of the Blue and Into the Dark. And I'm I, I'm having a lot of fun with that, but I know that there. Oh, weird fireworks. Um, I'm <laughs> sorry. Let me try that again. I'm having a lot of fun with that, and I know that the, they're in the middle of convention seasons, which is why I'm not worried that I haven't gotten any feedback on it recently. But that's something that was announced a year or two ago that I'm uh, very anxious to work on. So that's something I'm having a lot of fun with. After doing all the source books with Aspen Comics, I now know pretty much a lot about their characters inside and out. And that was, gave me a, a, a great insight into being able to work on this book. So there's that. Um What's the other things I can tell? Okay. And, okay, with Project Wildfire, Project Wildfire is a big, sprawling story. It's a superhero story. But unlike, you know, Superman or Batman, it's got a beginning and it's absolutely got an end. I know what the last page of Project Wildfire is right now. The last page of Project Wildfire is what I'm calling the end of season one. And then there's a, there's a, oh, how how can I say? Uh, I'm, uh, okay, I'm trying to spoil it. But there's, a, a larger tapestry into which 
the character is drawn after the last page of his own book that literally changes everything for him. And uh, that will be something that I'm working on with Quinn McGowan, something I'm working on with uh, some other creators, and we're trying to... We're, we we hope to have that out, but after we finally finish with all the story of Project Wildfire, which is a big story in and of itself, so it's a long term plan. So it's you're looking to, to spin this into uh, uh, more than a, you know more than just one title. You're looking to to expand the universe of Project Wildfire. Very much so. That uh, we have we're, we're we're old school continuity minded people, uh, Quinn and I, and we. You know, when, when like, say, for instance, you're, you're reading a Spider-Man comic book and you see in the background, oh, wow, it's Captain Marvel flying by. And, you know, on a completely unrelated story that has nothing to do with what Spider-Man is doing, that sort of stuff fascinates us. So then we're like, what's happening over there? Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other story that we, we want to go by and therefore read. And the way we are in terms of readers that way are the way we are as creators as well. We, we have a universe where people have lives when they step away from whatever you see on the panel. And sometimes those lives are stories that we can tell. And sometimes those stories are stories we want to expand upon. We introduced a group of villains called Riverside Drive, a, a, a criminal collective in this latest story that, you know, every time we start talking about, Oh, we need to do this thing. We can do that thing. And, and, and like, so they're taking on a life of their own that we're probably going to expand upon in some kind of prose novellas in like really like a, a noirish crime sort of way. Um, and that's something that's very exciting to us as well. So every, every idea that we have is, is ready to leap off into something else, but we're, you know, uh, two, <laughs> two married guys and fathers of multiple kids. So we have to, uh, pace ourselves in terms of the way we're telling the stories. That's understandable. I mean, you guys only have so many hours in the day and you mentioned having a day job. Now, does that change the way that you uh, market your books as far as like appearances and conventions and all that? It does. It's uh, Well, on one hand, 90% of the things I'm going to do are going to be in California. I'm going to try to get to New York in 2018, but uh, a lot of conventions that I go to are conventions I went to because Comic Book Resources was covering them. And if I wrote, wrote up panels for Comic Book Resources, I could then get paid for those panel write-ups and hopefully write enough to cover my hotel. And that would make whatever else I did, uh, you know, essentially playing with the house money. And I like that. Um, so that's been a limitation in terms of uh, where I've physically been able to go. As well, in terms of the day job, despite the fact that it gives me the luxury of not worrying about, oh gosh, I've got to, you know, I've got to hustle to get this comic going. You know, the, I, I, I'm more focused on telling good stories and selling good stories, which are two completely different disciplines and two completely different jobs. And in that regard, that has, I know, limited sales, but it, it has limited my happiness with the work. The work stands up to where I want it to be. And, you know, Russell Nolte, who runs Kickstarter University, says to me all the time, he's like, you, you make something once, you can sell it forever. So I'm not worried about, you know, stacking up a, a catalog of work that then once my youngest daughter is off in high school or something, I say, and now let's really get crazy with this stuff okay, and push it out in a completely different way. So Now you talk about your, your daughter. Uh, there's a saying that a prophet is a prophet everywhere except his own hometown. <laughs> um, I've heard that. Yes. Sir. So the, 
to kind of bring that around, how, uh, with your kids, do they enjoy your work or is it one of those, uh, punch to the, uh, growing of your ego? Uh, it's a, a lot closer to the latter. Uh, <laughs> they, they, well, well, here's the thing. Both of my kids love comics. Uh, my youngest is uh, almost as big a Star Wars fanatic as I am. So they like that I have access to the world of things that they're interested in. My oldest one, and I don't know how this happened, and I'm not that way at all. She's a big Spider-Man guy, a person rather. She's, she's <laughs> all into Spider-Man, which I'm like, what are you doing? How did you even show up in my house? I don't even <laughs> like Spider-Man that way. But whatever. So, uh, you know, she's she'll go around in her Spider-Gwen shirt. And, you know, she's very happy to have access to that world. She even went to WonderCon one year uh, in cosplay as the Mad Hatter from the Johnny Depp version of Mad Hatter before we found out that he punches women, which <laughs> changed our whole. Anyway, uh, so, I figured that put the kibosh on that. We, we can't have nothing. We just can't have nothing. Can we? <laughs> So, yeah, so, but she went in cosplay, and at first, for like the first half hour, it was great. She loved the attention, she loved taking pictures, and then her feet started to hurt. So, ah. <laughs> she has not been back to a convention since. And that, so they like, they like to be adjacent to it, but my specific stuff, they're like, yeah, that's, 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 that's the stuff Baba does. We understand that he, he's doing it, and he's, he's probably very good at it because people seem very happy, but. <laughs> so basically, you got a daughter saying, "Like, let me know when you're writing Star Wars," and the other one saying, "Let me know when you're writing Spider Man." Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, I do know that you know the youngest one is expressed because we just did a big free comic book day uh, story, we, uh, a digital release that's uh, sixty some odd pages. Jeez. And she was like, "Well, you know, if you, if, go big or go home." I, that's exactly <laughs> that defines that statement. So she was like, oh, could I download that on my iPad? Is it okay for me to read? I'm like, yes, it is, because, you know, it's kid-friendly enough. And so she was at least interested that far, but, you know, it's it's not – I'm not, I'm definitely not a star in my own house, I'm uh, especially given that my oldest daughter was in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which is had an Emmy nomination for her episode. Wait, the what? One, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my oldest daughter played Johnny Cochran's daughter in The People vs. O.J. Simpson uh, in uh, the fifth episode that was directed by John Singleton, who I went to college with. Uh, and then <laughs> Do you need my to youngest pick up daughter, those names? Sorry. <laughs> I said you need to pick up those names real quick. <laughs> this is, I live in L.A. This is just normal stuff. I mean, like, so, literally everybody so in L.A. Funny. has stories like this. I mean, for me, I live in NorCal, so like to hear like, oh, I hung out with so-and-so is just such a foreign concept to me. Yeah, we were at a. I took my wife for a, a Mother's Day brunch today, and we ran to Vanessa A. Vanessa Williams from Soul Food and from Rock, uh, New Jack City, who's a friend of mine who wrote poetry years ago. And then she ran in like five other actresses that she introduced my wife to, and they were up there talking actressy. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, and again, in certain parts of LA, especially once you get north of the the north of Wilshire, that's just regular. That's just normal stuff. That's so like yeah. That seems so surreal to me. Yeah, yeah, and and given that I live a long way south from that environment, so like where I live is not that LA. That's the LA that people see on television. The actual LA is closer to Easy Rollins than that. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> 
So for me, like, I'm like, yes, honey, yes, my youngest one. I'm like, yes, you were on New Girl last night. That doesn't mean you don't have to clean up the stuff off the floor. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's clean all the stuff up. Come on. <laughs> we can DVR your episode. You need to go to bed. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So in my house, I mean, and my wife, she's acted in numbers. She was in uh, uh, something new. It's about Lathan. She's done some other stuff. So I'm I'm the, I'm the least star person in my house. Nice. Well, I notice it seems like creativity runs wild in your house, though, in that you have a house of artists mm-hmm. and not just the physical, not just the physical, like, you know, comics and all that. But it's something that has that art influences your life. Yes, very much so. We work uh, at a lot of us have a, a desire to, 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 to create. And that's why I said. I did this presentation out at a high school in East L.A., and I said, you don't make comics because you want to. You make comics because you have to. And if you're driven to tell stories, or like my oldest daughter, she's driven to make music. She plays drum and piano and sings and acts, and you know, she's driven to express herself this way. My youngest one is driven to create. She's she's in a, a, an engineering thing now in, in West L.A., this Tinkerer's Club. So she comes home with things she's built, and she's like, I learned how to use this kind of saw today, and I did it. I'm like, okay, well, it, this drive, as long as they have it, I just want to get out of the way of it, you know? I I was very free. I had a lot of free time growing up in Memphis with my great aunt and uncle. And I spent, you know, an entire one summer I spent studying Norse and Greek myth the entire summer in the library. The next summer I spent the entire summer reading about World War II. So I was the only kid with G.I. Joe's who knew how to set up an enfilade. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, that kind of freedom gave me the basis of my creativity and now my professional creative life. So I would I absolutely want my kids to have the same freedom. I, I would absolutely never, ever want to take that from them. That is so refreshing to hear. Is, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things I feel like I don't hear enough of. So anybody out there that, you know, might have doubts about being an artist you're creating, like, it's possible and it's happening and people are doing it and they're making money at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I always tell people, don't quit your day job until you've made a lot of money. But, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's it's a wholly viable, I mean, even... Because I used to host karaoke, right? And I, I would go set up sound and sing and whatever. And I was like, I've made more as a professional singer than most people I know that have been trying, you know. And that's just, that's one of my side jobs. It's not even my main thing. Wow. So there is a way to be successful in what we're in what you want to do if you are able to manage yourself in a professional fashion. You know, is that as easy in Kansas City as it is in Los Angeles? Maybe not. Maybe it is. Maybe you can fill a niche that, you no one else knows about there you know i know that uh my friend came back from uh she lives in cape verde and Af- off the coast of africa and she's like they don't know anything about karaoke and they don't know this so somebody could come in and do this and they are at, i was like i could go over there and set that up i could even try to do some stuff but i'm not gonna live there you know yeah. i still gotta get back to san diego for comic-con what are you talking about <laughs> well Hannibal- uh, there are niches to find phil yeah, absolutely. And everything there are, there's definitely niches out there that, that need to be filled that, you know, hopefully if you're one of our listeners, uh, that can be one of the things that, that you find is your calling. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately our time's running out, but I want to quickly, uh, 
go over, uh, you know, some of the stuff that, that we talked about. Um, you said Irrational Numbers from Wonderman mm-hmm. Comics uh, with yes, you sir. and Giancarlo Ca- Caracuzzo. Caracuzzo. I'm going to get that right one day. Caracuzzo <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, is coming out in July. Mm-hmm. So where can they order that? You said they're the – Distribution method isn't the the normal diamond. What's the way that yeah. they can get that? That'll be on Amazon. That'll be on Barnes and Nobles. That'll be on uh, like all, any any major online bookseller will bring it to your house. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask a, a weird question. What's the way that makes you and and or Wonderman Comics the most money? That's a great question that I don't 100 percent know the answer to. Okay, because I've Fair already enough. been paid. Yeah, they've already given me my money, so uh, yeah. But okay, <laughs> uh, as I understand it, uh, I believe he's happy no matter how it comes in. Uh, I know with my own stuff, like I sell my own stuff digitally on Gumroad, and the stuff, anything that you see on Gumroad, I'm going to make a bigger profit than if I'm selling it on Amazon or whatever. Yeah, but I'm uh, what they say. They say when you're playing dominoes, all money's good money. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So yeah, there's irrational numbers. Uh, Project Wildfire. Mm-hmm. is on the operative network every Wednesday every Wednesday um, and then the I'm, I'm blanking like an idiot on the third Menthu. one Menthu that's right mm-hmm. so in Menthu Menthu Mondays mm-hmm. also on the operative network correct yes sir um, and then you said you're going to be this is one I'm excited about you said you're going to be at Black Arts Comic, Comic Fest in in San Francisco. Yes, that'll be January on King Weekend. I'll be at Black Arts Comics Festival, which is uh all. It's either they either do it at San on on the what day is it? On the Sunday they do it at the big library, the main library over by City Hall, and then they move it over by. We did it at, at I think it's called something Theon. Some it's, it's some big place uh, uh, near there that's also in like near the Tenderloin district that they do the Monday programming. And I'll okay. be I'll be there and that'll be January. I'm getting ready to, I'm apparently and I just found this out. Uh you'll be the first one to know. So next on Friday this week I'm going to a brand new Comic Con called Fantasia Con in Indio, California. And I'll be on a panel with DMC from Run DMC. Holy shit. And Michael Davis. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and Michael Davis from Milestone and and uh, it'll be the three of us on a panel talking about uh essentially, you know, trying to find your way and making yourself a success in the industry. And that's that. And then, of course, San Diego's coming up. And then there'll be Long Beach Comics Expo, I think, and Kamikaze and, and Halloween. And yeah, so I, I try to make myself available where I can be. Great. Okay. And you're going to have physical copies of, of your work there? Definitely in January, hopefully by Kamikaze. Okay. Okay. And then where can people find you on the interwebs? Everywhere you look for me, I'll be Hannibal Taboo. That's uh, all one straight spelling, H-A-N-N-I, B as in bounce, A-L, T as in tough, A, B as in bounce, U. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. And if you can still find it, Plurk. I think they went out of business, but I used to be there as well. I know, right? Yeah, uh, that's a new one. I've not heard that one. For the Friendster, Plurk. If you dig up Friendster in MySpace, I'm also Hannibal Taboo there. (laughs) So for you three people who haven't given up on those, uh, there you go. All right. Oh, thank you so much for, for coming, t- uh, for talking to us, Hannibal. It's been a lot of fun. 
Happy to do it. I want. I'm. I'm going to put it out there. I want you to come back um, further down the road as as you as there's more work that you have. Um, we would be more than happy to uh, give it a shout out. Well, I'll tell you what. I hope to be able to announce this new Wonderman book by San Diego. And if that's the case, then I'll see, I'll, I'll see you in July. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I hope that you have a, a great rest of your Mother's Day with your family. Thanks. All right. Have a good day, too. Yeah, you too. Bye.